Well, good morning, everybody. So great to have you here again today. Thank you so much for joining us. Just before I dive into the message, I want to invite everybody to an all-church prayer meeting this Wednesday night. I just feel in my heart that it would be good for us to pray for all that's happening around the world, particularly in Israel, in Gaza, and uh, all the story that we are all getting more and more familiar with. I want us to pray for uh, Israel, pray for the innocent, innocent civilians uh, uh, in Gaza, throughout Palestine, pray for the evils, against the evils of Hamas, Uh, pray for the families that have been ripped apart and destroyed, Uh, pray for what's coming next. And so we have a uh, prayer meeting this Wednesday night at 5.30. I'd like to invite you to come be with us as we pray for our world and pray specifically for peace in the Middle East. Probably a prayer I prayed my whole adult life, and uh, we get that opportunity again right now. Uh, Would you join me as we pray? Lord, thank you for this opportunity to open your word, uh, study the book of Jonah. God, I pray that you'll apply it by your Holy Spirit to each one of our hearts. God, may it be penetrating, may it be profound, may it challenge us, may you stir our hearts, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. This is uh, week number three of our Beyond Survival series. Uh, We may have a couple books around the building, uh, but certainly you can download it. There's a digital version if you go on the website or the BCA app. Uh, We've been talking about the whole idea of of living life... uh, you know, kind of above the fray. You know, how can we live beyond, you know, just barely surviving? You know, you've asked people, and people have asked you, how are you doing? And you probably said, I'm barely surviving. Uh, I felt that way in the middle of the fourth quarter of the Husky game yesterday. Uh, If you were to ask me, I'm saying, man, I'm barely surviving. Uh, Now I'm doing great. Now I'm doing great. Uh, But that that was a tough one there for a while. Uh, You know, survival, survival, you know, God wants us to do more than just barely survive. Uh, sometimes we feel like we're, we're sinking. Uh, sometimes it feels like we're swimming, really kind of just barely treading water out in the middle of the ocean. But God wants more. He wants us to soar. And I want you to think about uh, the direction of your life. I want you to think about the various aspects and specifics of your life. We've used the uh, metaphor of waves. You know, waves are relentless. You know, remember the last time you've been to the ocean. They keep pounding the the surf. Uh, uh, They're continuous. They can be powerful. They can be terrifying. They can be beautiful. They can be consoling. Uh, They just continue over and over again. And we're looking at nine waves of life. And if I could be king for a day, if I could uh, get into the mind of every one of our teens, if I could get in the mind of every one of our young adults, young married people, uh, uh, if I can get in the, in the minds of every parent, every husband, every wife, uh, if I get in the minds and hearts of every person and say, listen to the lessons that Jonah teaches us. When he talks to us about the nine waves of life, when we look at nine big themes, if we can get these right, if we can learn to navigate the waves of life, we are going to be able to live our best life. If we ignore them, we're not going to be able to live our best life. I want us to think about that. A few weeks ago, we talked about dreams. Uh, Last week, we talked about decisions. Today, we're going to talk about direction. We have our dreams. We make decisions to begin to walk out those dreams, and it leads us in a particular direction. Today, I want us to ask ourselves this question. Is my life in every area moving in a direction that honors God and blesses others? Think about it. Think about it, moms and dads. Are you building a culture within your family that is building great young people that are going to live for God, 
and bless others? How about your marriage? How about your finances? How about your faith? Am I moving in a direction that honors God? Am I practicing the disciplines of reading scripture and, and praying and, and serving and, and generosity and showing compassion and empathy to other people? What does the direction of my life say about my life? Today I want us to talk about four ways to recalibrate the direction of our life. And I would say this, that most people don't think about this stuff. And most Christians I have found through the years live life somewhat emotionally. Their faith can be summarized into kind of the emotional highs and lows. Now, when we accept Christ as our Savior, it, it should consume every part of our life, including our emotions. But it also should consume our mind, you know, our heart, and our will, the volitional, the will side of us. Do we purpose, do we will to live a certain way? And that's what I really want to get to the heart of here today. My volitional obedience, my will, my, my purpose, my desire to put one step in, in front of another and live out my faith. So let's take a look at these four ways. The first of all is I need to determine it. What is God's direction for my life? It really goes back to wave one, and then we make decisions to begin to move in a certain direction. That turns uh, into really the, the course of our life. Jonah Chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, as we read last week, we see the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. He says, go to the great city of Nineveh. Go preach. Tell them about their wickedness. But Jonah ran the opposite direction. It's one thing not to walk in the direction of the Lord. It's another thing to run in the opposite direction, to completely run the opposite way. It says in verse 3 that he went to Tarshish so that he could flee from the Lord. God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. He says, no, thank you. I'm going to go to Tarshish, the exact opposite direction. He not only ignored God's dream, he not only made bad decisions, but he ran in the opposite direction. That is a recipe for experiencing a pretty rough life. How many know what I'm talking about? In fact, you might end up in the belly of a big fish if you continue to do that kind of thing. Uh, what, are, what is the direction of our life? What are the dreams, the decisions, and the direction? You know, a lot of times there's another D word, and that is distraction. We let distractions get in the way. We read in Luke chapter 10, verse 40, that Jesus came to the home of Mary and Martha, and Mary was sitting at his feet, but Martha was out scurrying around doing a lot of things, and what did Jesus say? Martha, you're distracted. You're distracted. How many times do we get distracted, even by good things? Sometimes good things can be the enemy of the greatest things, the best things. But oftentimes we can get distracted by temptation and sin and disobedience. What are the things that are distracting us? You know, each week I've made a, a comparison between Jonah and another character in the Bible. You know, week one we talked about Joseph in Genesis, and last week we talked about Abraham. Today I want you to think about King David. When you think of Jonah and King David, there are some similarities, but there are also some really, really big differences. You know, David started out great. You know, he uh, uh, was a great young lad, a shepherd, anointed king. He had a great vision for Israel's future, but he got distracted. He got distracted by his own ego, his own power. He got distracted by Bathsheba. He got distracted by uh, the sin of the flesh, and he made bad decisions that led him in a bad direction and brought destruction to his life and his family. I read an interesting book recently that you'll see on screen here, 
And the title is worth the price of the book. How will you measure your life? You look at this and you say, well, this is really probably a great spiritual book, a great book about the Bible. But actually, it's a book written by a Harvard professor with a couple of his students. And here's the subtitle. Listen to this. Finding Fulfillment Using Lessons from Some of the World's Greatest Businesses. It's supposed to be a business book, but the author, Mr. Christensen, is a devout, I believe, Catholic. He's a devout religious individual, and in every single chapter of this book, he is talking about spiritual truths. How are you going to measure your life? In other words, are you going to go in the right direction? He gives examples of people who live for the moment, sold out their soul to short-term temporary materialistic gains and pleasures, and ended up morally, spiritually, and relationally, and physically bankrupt. They didn't determine a God-honoring direction for their life. And he writes this quote, whether in business or life, your decisions, hundreds and even thousands that you make every day about how you spend your time, your energy, and your money, are going to determine whether you have your best life or not. I found it interesting coming from that kind of a source, basically saying the same thing we're saying here today. If we don't determine the direction of our life, it will be determined for us. We need to pray about that. David messed up. He got a lot of things wrong. But at the end of his life, he turned it around, and he was in hot pursuit of his Lord and his God. Notice what he says. I will instruct you and teach you in the ways you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you, speaking the words of the Lord. The steps of a man are established by the Lord, David writes, when he delights in his way. Jonah should have listened to that. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Some time ago, I shared this little triangle with you. And it's important for us to evaluate our life and emulate godly greats like David when he got it right, and certainly Jesus all the time, if we're going to elevate the level of our living. I want you just to ask yourself today, just take a moment and be really serious with your soul. Am I moving in a God-honoring direction? And apply it to various areas of your life, your thought life, overcoming sin, battling disobedience and temptation. You know, being the husband, being the wife, being the mother, being the father that God wants you to be. You know, doing your best in school, getting good grades, honoring your mom and dad. Apply it to every area of your life. If if I could get in the mind and heart of everybody, I would say, give God your very best. Give him your all. Dream God's dreams. Make godly decisions and move in a God-honoring direction. If you do, you're going to put yourself in a position to enjoy your very best life. Evaluate it. This little triangle kind of is a great segue. Evaluate, where, where am I off track? Every single one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, can remember times and can probably admit times right now where we would say, I'm, I was off track or I am off track right now in moving in a God-honoring direction in this area or that area of my life. I believe evaluation is the least practiced of all the spiritual disciplines. You hear very few people talk about it, Fewer people think about it, and even fewer people do anything about it. We need to reflect more, review regularly, so we can know when and where we're getting off track. There are a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about the importance of evaluation. 
and examination and reflection. I love this one here in Psalm 139. David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Because of those kind of words from David, I think is one of the big reasons he recognized the folly of his ways and he turned things around later in life. You see, if we're just off a little bit, let's say just one degree. If we're off one degree in our flight pattern from JFK in New York heading to LAX, Los Angeles, if we're off just one degree, you know what the experts say? We're going to end up 40 miles out in the middle of the Pacific. How many know that's not where you want to land? If we're off just a little bit, one degree, you say, oh, that's no big deal. But you know, we aren't honest with ourselves enough. And God says, be honest with yourself. Listen to my honest appraisal of your life. Get into my word. Pray. Listen to my Holy Spirit. Get on track where you're off track. Follow me completely. Obey me fervently. It says in verse number four, in the book of Jonah, chapter one still, then the Lord sent a great wind to the sea and such a violent storm arose. And all the sailors were afraid. But Jonah had gone below the deck. The captain went and said, how in the world can you sleep down here? Get up, call on your God. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots and see who's at fault. The lot fell on Jonah. They asked him, tell us who's responsible for making this trouble. He says, it's me, it's me. They ask him, who are you? Where do you come from? I read those verses and I just say to myself, God had placed so many stop signs in front of Jonah and he just blew through every one of them. Stop, turn around, don't go to Tarshish, go to Nineveh. He says, no, I'd rather die at the bottom of the sea. Who says that? That's crazy. And yet that was Jonah. Poor decision after poor decision and he began moving in a wrong, wrong direction. He should have repented. He should have relented. He should have turned back to God. How about you? How about me? David, after committing two of the big ten, think about it. God says, here's ten commandments. David said, you know, I'm going to break two of them. You know, that's not really very smart. I'm going to commit adultery and I'm going to commit murder. You know, you could argue those are the big two, although they're all ten really big. But, you know, he commits two of them. But, but... He evaluated his life. He recognized the folly of his ways. And one of the greatest, greatest principles that David teaches us is you can make a comeback when you blow it. He turned his regret into repentance. He relented of his sin. He came back to God and he prayed probably the greatest confessional prayer found anywhere in Scripture, Psalm 51. Look at some of these phrases. Psalm 51, verses 1 through 19. I'm just pulling out a few phrases. David cries. You can tell that he is just passionately broken. He says, have mercy on me, God. Wash away my iniquity. Cleanse me. Against you and you only have I sinned. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He prayed in brokenness and sorrow. He was sad that he had run through the stop sign and broken God's laws. He had a God dream. He made some poor decisions that led him in a wrong direction. But then he came to God and he confessed his sin and God gave him a new dream. 
And he began to make some good decisions that moved him in a God-honoring direction to where he, David, later in life, was called by God a man after his own heart. Can you believe that? Here's a guy that broke two of the Big Ten. I mean, you could say, and reasonably so, this guy blew it as much as anybody in the Bible, and yet he had the sense about him, the spiritual sense about him to say, wait a second, the greatest, best life, the most honoring life is to dream God's dreams, make God's decisions, and move in God's directions, and I need to get back on track. And he did. He did. I've seen this movie a thousand times. I've had conversations with people over and over and over this last month. People are just wrestling, wrestling, wrestling with whether or not they want to dream God's dream, make God decisions, and move in a God direction regarding their family, regarding their marriage, regarding their finances, often regarding their faith. And it's a movie that's played out over and over and over. I want to ask you, how about you? Where in your life, think deeply, be, be ruthless in your evaluation. Where in your life do you need to get back on God's, uh, on track with God? Dream his dreams, make godly decisions, and move in a godly direction. We must evaluate and review and reflect and revisit and recalibrate our life on a regular basis. This is something a lot of people don't think about. Most people don't talk about. Many don't purpose and, and, and uh, prioritize. But the scripture talks about it often. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourself. Test yourself. Lamentation 3, 4, let us examine our ways. Each one of us should test our own actions. Galatians 6, 4. You know, first take the plank out of your own eye. Matthew 7, 5. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. a man ought to examine himself. What about Jonah? What about David? Jonah kept going in the wrong direction, and he kept going and going and going. David stopped. He finally stopped, and he said, this is not good. I'm no longer going to go in the wrong direction. I'm going to start following God and go in the right direction. Jonah was on one track, and it was downward. Look at it. He went down to Joppa. Then he went down into the boat. Then he went down below deck. Then he went down into a deep sleep. Then he went down into disgrace and down in the sea, down into the belly of a big fish, then down into doubt, down into discouragement. You see a pattern here? Down, down, doobie, down, down, down. He's the guy that wrote the song. He wrote the song before the song was written. He was on a downward trajectory, and he kept going. You, you step back and you go, who would make such a foolish error? I mean, I would never do that, we say. You know, we look at our lives and we see that we have. Or we at least say to ourselves, it's within me to make the same decision Jonah did. To make one bad decision on top of another, on top of another, on top of another. In the book that I referred to a little earlier ago, How Will You Measure Your Life? Again, the title is worth the price of the book to me. Uh, it ties in beautifully with what we're talking about here today. He tells a story that uh, was new to me. I hadn't really heard this story before, and, and some of you probably have. It's a story of Nick Leeson, a 26-year-old. How many are in your 20s? Let me see your hand. Yep, 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 yep. You know, thank God none of you have done this, but, uh, you know, he was about your age. 26 years old, 
In fact, he's my age. I'm actually 26. Uh, 26-year-old trader who famously brought down the British merchant bank bearings in 1995. You heard this story? Racking up $1.3 billion in trading losses before being uh, detected. Here's the thing. It all started with one little step, and then another step, and then another step, and then another step. What does that equal? A direction. One bad step after another is the start of a direction. He didn't want to admit the small error, so he covered it up, hid the losses in a little scrutinized trading account, and led him deeper, deeper down the path and the way of deception. He made a series of bets hoping to recover his losses. Instead, he went further down in the hole. He wasn't able to pay things off. Things got worse. He lied to cover lies, forged documents, misled auditors, and made false statements to try to hide one thing after another. Eventually, he arrived at his moment of reckoning. He was arrested in an airport in Germany, having fled his home in Singapore, and Barings realized the extent of the losses, and they had to file bankruptcy. And 1,200 of many who were his friends, 1,200 employees, lost their job because of this one fellow. He then spent six and a half years in a Singaporean prison. The authors say, and here's a good question, what is your personal boundary? What is your personal moral line? This isn't a Christian book. This isn't even a Bible book. But it's Christian Bible teaching. What, what is our personal boundary? What, what, what is our moral line? Gossip. Oh, sure. I'm willing to do that. Lie. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all in in a little bit of that. Cheating. Sure, I'll do some of that. You know? Uh, dishonesty of one form or another, and we could add to that list. Decide what you stand for, and then stand for it all the time, the author says. You know, there's a saying out there, just this once. Let me do it just this once. Let's say that you are 98% character, but only 2% deceit. I mean, you've got a lot of character, but, but you're willing to lie some. You're willing to cheat a little bit. You're willing to gossip and undermine some. What does that make you? It's something to think about because the people that say just this once are more susceptible to just say just this once more And they're also susceptible to say, let me do it just one more time. And then it's, this is the last time. And pretty soon, one step leads to another step, one decision to another decision, and a direction takes place. Correct it. Is there a course correction I need to make now? He answered, did Jonah, I am a Hebrew, I worship the Lord. This terrified all the sailors. They knew he was running from God. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. Of course, Jonah didn't see that as a stop sign. He just ran through it. So they asked him, what should we do? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied. It will become calm. I know that it's my fault. The great storm is because of me. Jonah did not confess his wrong. He did not correct his wrongs. He did not do what David did and say, God, forgive me. I am a dirty, rotten sinner. He didn't do any of that. Not until he was rescued by the fish 
And then in chapter 2, which we'll get to here in future weeks, there he started some confessions. But then you read chapter 3, and then you get to chapter 4, and he kind of falls backward again into his despair, disappointment, depression, whatever you want to call it. David, in Psalm 51, made a decision. I need to change my ways, and I need to move in a God-honoring way. I wonder if that's a message that any one of us needs to hear. What's going on in the secrets of your mind and heart? What's happening that nobody else knows about? What secret sin or what, what secret scar, resentment, grudge, anger, unforgiveness towards somebody else continues to brew, brew, brew until it's going to spill over and have a terrible impact? So much for us to think about and to be honest about and to finally come clean and say, God, forgive me. I want to dream your dream, make godly decisions, and move in a God-honoring direction. If I confess my sins, 1 John 1, 9 says, he is faithful and just to forgive me. When tempted, I know that God is not tempting me. I'm tempted by my own evil desires. How can I come to grips with that? Psalm 119, 59, I have considered my ways and I have turned my steps to your statutes. You know when you go in for an eye exam, you know, you, got, you put the thing over your eye and you look and, you know, you try to read what's going on on the wall. What if we did a heart exam? What if we went in the doctor and they examined our heart? What would they see? What would they learn? What would they find out about what's going on in our heart? Whoa, that's heavy, isn't it? That's convicting. If you're able to read the destructive thoughts, lusts, fantasies, guilt, that stains all of our hearts. And if we were to go and they were able to read what's going on in our hearts, that would be frightening. That'd be scary. Our heart is so important. What would be better is for us to come to the Word of God, which is that heart-reading machine, if I can put it that way, and come to the Spirit of God and say, Lord, search me, see if there be any wicked way in me, and cleanse me from every sin and set me free, just like David prayed. Proverbs says this about the heart. Above all, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. How will you measure your life? How will you measure your heart? How will I? That's the title of the book I've been talking about. It's a challenging thought. How will you measure your life? One way is to measure our life by God's dreams, God's decisions, and God's direction. How close am I to God's ideal? Am I living according to God's standard or my own? In this book, they tell stories that to some of us are anomalies because they just seem so far-fetched. You know, they talk about Bernie Madoff who, you know, did the Ponzi scheme and, you know, robbed people of, what, some $60 billion, whatever the number was. And another name that some of you know, Jeffrey Skilling, who was a classmate of the author, Mr. Christensen. One of his classmates was the CEO of, of Enron that also took so much money from so many people and Skilling spent 24 years in prison, as we know. 
We say, those are anomalies. Those are just way out there. I mean, that doesn't even relate to me. Well, the one thing that relates to you and me, we're in this thing together, is a breach of integrity. And every single one of us are susceptible to yielding to our dark side. Amen? Do I hear amen out there? Am I alone? Any other honest people out there? We are susceptible to making bad decisions and moving in a a bad direction. And to the point it impacts our families, our marriages, our kids, our finances, our faith, our testimony. That needs to grab our attention. These may sound like anomalies, but we need to take the lessons we can from anywhere we possibly can and apply them to our life and ask ourselves, am I on a good course? Where do I need to correct it? Because a lost dream and bad decisions will lead me in a wrong direction, and that will not only hurt me, but hurt lots of people around me. My kids, my spouse, my work associates, my testimony, etc. Finally, finally, when it comes to direction, I need to pursue it. I need to prioritize God's direction for my life. Are you willing to prioritize God's direction for your life? Probably in this moment, at this time, we would all say, yeah, which is good. But how about Monday morning? How about Tuesday night? How about Wednesday afternoon when the temptations are stronger? We need to equally say, yes, I am going all in with Christ. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, verse 13. They could not, for the sea grew wilder. They cried to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice and made vows to him. Now, a lot of uh, well-meaning Christians would say, hey, these sailors came to Christ. It's a beautiful, beautiful story of, uh, of repentance. And maybe they did, but what was practiced a lot in those days is, is people would offer alms to other gods just to try to appease the other gods so that they wouldn't get destroyed. It was a common, common practice in uh, paganism and heathenism of that day. So whether they came to the Lord or not, you know, is a debate for another time. But regardless of that, the main point here is Jonah ran through stop sign after stop sign after warning sign after warning sign. You know those traffic signs that say wrong way? He went through 50,000 of those and kept going through them over and over again. I wonder if we do that. How about us? David realized the folly of his ways. He repented. He relented. He received forgiveness. He repented. He relented. He received forgiveness. He repented. He relented. He received forgiveness. That's the thing I want us to remember is we can receive forgiveness. Amen? And if we've blown it or we recognize right now we're off track, today is the day to get on track and move in a God-honoring direction. And like David, become a man after God's own heart. But to do it, David needed to do the four things we've talked about today. He needed to determine, you know, what is the direction? Evaluate the direction. Am I on the right one or not? Correct the one that when he was off. And then make a profession, I'm going to pursue God's direction from this time on. And how do we pursue God's direction? Let me give you a final scripture that I think is worth chewing on all week long and discussing in your small groups. James 4, 7 through 10. 
basically says, Rob, get rid of all arrogance and put these things into practice if you want to dream God's dreams, make godly decisions, and move in a godly direction. What does it say? Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil. Come near to God, and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands. Purify your hearts. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning. Humble yourself. Ten commands in the Greek language that are just basically saying the same thing over and over again from kind of different angles, and that is submit yourself, humble yourself to God. Repent of your sin. Relent of your arrogance. Get rid of hubris. Recognize sin is sin and it's destructive. Get it out of your life. Understand God's dream. Make God-honoring decisions and move in a God-honoring direction and do it your whole life. Your whole life. Start now and what? Never quit. Make a daily determination. God, search me and see if there be any wicked way in me and cleanse me from every sin and set me free. I want to dream your dreams. I want to make godly decisions and I want to move in a God-honoring direction. Amen? Amen? Amen. Join me as we bow our hearts and heads. Lord, we all want, we all want to experience our very best life. We want to navigate the waves of life well. We want to dream God's dreams. We want to make God-honoring decisions, and we want to move in a God-honoring direction. Every one of us. But Lord, life gets in the way. We get distracted. We become disobedient. We lose our way. And oftentimes, we need to make a course correction. I pray, God, that you'll help us honestly come to grips with those areas of our life that we need to appraise more honestly. None of us are perfect. All of us have blown it. But the truth be told, within the sound of my voice, Lord, I know there are those that haven't thought ruthlessly and vigorously and rigorously lately about how they become a little calloused a little indifferent to making decisions that are not God-honoring and moving in a direction that's not God-honoring. So may today be a day, may today be a day where we evaluate and we confess our sin, knowing that he will forgive us and give us the strength to move from this day forward in a God-honoring way. With every head bowed and every eye closed, how many would raise your hand to the Lord, really? But to also say, Pastor Rob, pray for me. I want to make some course corrections in my life. It may be family, marriage, it may be finance, it may be uh, spiritual, it may be faith-related, it may be other things. But you want to move in a God-honoring way, and you recognize how that needs to happen right now, right here. Would you raise your hand all over this place? Nobody's looking around, just you and God. There's some things in my life I know I need to get right. I need to get things squared away with God. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Lord, I thank each and every one of these individuals for their honesty. And God, I pray that you will just come into their lives like a flood. Give them, God, incredible strength and help to overcome and put behind them whatever those things might be. I also pray, Lord, for any that are here today that have 
not made a commitment of faith to Jesus Christ, but today is that day. Today I want to commit or recommit my life to Jesus Christ. If that's you, friend, would you pray this prayer after me? Dear Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I want to be a Christian. I want to follow you with all of my heart. I love you and want to live the rest of my life for you. I want to make the rest of my life the best of my life for you. Would you pray that prayer? And if you do, would you kindly, kindly tell me about it? Fill out that connection card, drop it in the black box on the back wall as you leave. I want to be praying for you this week and send you some information that will help you in your walk with Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for everybody that's here today. God, I pray that we'll take the Word of God, apply it to our own lives. May we capture these themes of Jonah and find ways to allow them to penetrate the deepest recesses of our heart and mind and our will. And we pray it all in your precious and holy name. Amen. Let's stand together. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward. We're going to sing a closing song. And uh, our traditions and online services will conclude uh, accordingly. But let's sing together and we'll close in just one minute.